latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. And on this edition of our podcast, I'll be joined by South Carolina head coach Frank Martin, who's got the Gamecocks suddenly a major player again in the SEC after a disastrous non-conference that was littered by inexperienced injuries and, of course, some losses that uh, made South Carolina look like they were heading in the wrong direction. Well, they are suddenly at 3-0. and they got a chance to make a run here in the SEC and be a factor for an NCAA tournament berth. So they're a surprise. And I'm going to also be joined by Texas Tech's Jarrett Culver. Uh, the Red Raiders are a major surprise because they are a legitimate challenger to Kansas after losing a lot off to last season's team. That was a two seed. That was a team that certainly had a chance to get to the Final Four, uh, was stopped uh, short by Villanova in the Elite Eight in Boston. But Culver came back, and he is a star. He's a stud. But before we get to any of that, it is late on a Monday night, and we got major, major news in college basketball. The Duke Blue Devils, number one team in the country in the AP poll. They were number four in my Power 36. They lost at home on Monday night to Syracuse, but they lost more than a basketball game because Trey Jones, their outstanding freshman point guard, younger brother of Tyus Jones, who captained essentially with Quinn Cook at the lead guard position, that 2015 national championship team, he suffered a joint separation in his shoulder. Uh, Happened early in the game, only played six minutes, had four steals in the six minutes, by the way. He was averaging basically like a six assist to one turnover ratio. And so he's done, done. Now, Cam Radish didn't play in this game because he had flu-like symptoms. That's his fresh off after the uh, game-winning three-pointer to knock off Florida State over the weekend in Tallahassee. So now, what does Duke do after losing an overtime to Syracuse? No Trey Jones. And it's indefinite. We don't know how long he's going to be out. So you're going to see R.J. Barrett play some point. He had nine assists against Syracuse. He can do it. Uh, you're probably going to see a little more Jordan Goldwire and Alex O'Connell. And, of course, they have Zion Williamson and Cam Reddish. They've got oodles of talent. But not having that point guard, that lead guard who defends, who led this team, who's having a phenomenal freshman season, it affects Duke. Clearly, Coach K said that after the game. Um, they weren't the same team, and they won't be the same team going forward. They got a game against Virginia at home on Saturday. Virginia, uh, I thought was the favorite in the ACC before this happened. Now I definitely think they're the favorite. They're three and zero going. To, they actually played Virginia Tech before that game at home, so potentially four and zero against a three and one Duke. Um, you know, it, it, it's a. Dicey situation for Duke, but it's not disastrous. Um, Would I pick them to win the title? No. Would I pick them to win the ACC? No. But how this plays out going forward is going to be very, very interesting. It has become now one of the stories in college basketball, without question, how they will handle it. In my Power 36, I had Duke 4. I still am locked in on Michigan, Tennessee, and Virginia. Now that Gonzaga is back... With in terms of healthy with Killian Tilly, uh, Gino Crandall, and I talked to Killian Tilly. You can see that interview on uh, March Madness on NCAA.com, uh, along with Nevada and Michigan State, and maybe Kansas. Those are your 
right now your national championship contenders. Will that list grow? Will there be a team like Loyola? Will there be a team like South Carolina from a couple years ago that gets into the Final Four? Of course there could be. Um, but that's that's the, the roster right now that I see with the two Michigans, Michigans and Michigan State, Virginia, Gonzaga, Tennessee. Without Trey Jones, I don't see Duke in that conversation. Kansas, without Yudoka Zabuki, I don't see them winning the championship. Nevada, I would keep, include in that list. You know, Texas Tech, I still think is a little inexperienced to, to make that kind of run. So there's a lot of volatility, though, beyond the top nine. There was just, as you put together your your your, your poll or your bracket, which we're going to do later this week on NCAA.com and March Madness, you get to a number of these teams that are so flawed, like a North Carolina, even a Kentucky, and you're just not sure where to put these teams. And then there's a lot of movement in and out of my poll, which I know would be the case for anyone doing this, or in the bracket when you get to selecting those last couple teams. The one thing I will say about the Pac-12, because we've kind of railed on them, two 4-0 teams right now in Arizona and Washington, and they're playing much better basketball. I'm not saying they're going to get multiple bids, but they're at least trending in the right direction right now. The Big East, I would say, is trending toward a four-bid league right now. And uh, Shamori Pons' back injury did not play in their loss to DePaul. That's concerning. Obviously, Josh Lankford's foot injury still out with Michigan State is very concerning for the Spartans. But there's this assumption he will be coming back. And in the in, in the Big Ten, Maryland has been by far uh, the biggest surprise here once we turned into the new year because they're pushing at number three. And we're waiting to see who that third team was going to be in the Big Ten. Right now it appears to be Maryland. So a lot to digest, a lot to look at. I want to direct you to NCAA.com March Madness for my Power 36 bracket later this week and interviews throughout the course of the week that you can check out. But interesting conversations with Frank Martin and Jared Culver coming up. As always, thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. And now joining me here in March Madness 365, South Carolina head coach Frank Martin. And Frank, as we tape this on a Monday morning, uh, I look at the SEC standings. Tennessee, which won the uh, SEC last year, sharing it with Auburn. They're at top, no surprise. And then also at 3-0, Ole Miss and South Carolina. That was not what was projected at the beginning of the season. How do you explain it? Well, I, I'll do Ole Miss first because that, that's easier because I'm, I'm on the outside looking in. You know, Andy Kennedy won 20 games a year for 10 straight years there. And they return a big part of their team. And, and then Kermit is a really, really, really good basketball coach. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, just things just last year is the first time Andy had one of them years and, and it just didn't connect with him and the team, but they had real good players and give Kermit a lot of credit that, uh, you know, he's got those guys believing and, and that's what Kermit does. He coaches. Uh, that's why it's such a great hire when Ole Miss hired him. And, uh, uh, and then us, that's, uh, you know, we, I've liked our team from day one. We, we've played two non-conference opponents that no one's ever going to give us credit for playing and Stony Brook and Wofford, but you know, combined they're like 27 and six or something like that, you know, two really good teams and they're both juniors and seniors and, and we weren't ready for either one. And then you couple that with uh, our eight new guys 
and just a, a plethora of injuries in November and early part of December that just didn't allow guys to practice. Uh, and it's hard to get better as a team when guys don't practice. But the beauty of the SEC, which not everyone has, uh, for example, not to rip on the Pac-12, but the reality is if you didn't do anything in the non-conference of the Pac-12 and you had to make up all your ground in the Pac-12 th- this season, that would be difficult. You know, for you guys, if you didn't do everything you needed to do in the non-conference in the SEC and you win games, that's really going to help you. So, I, well, I mean, first of all, do you agree with me on the SEC on that? Yeah, that's, that's uh, you know, that's unfortunately our league when I got here seven years ago uh, was in the situation that you explained first, which is, you know, the bottom five, six, seven teams in our league, uh, just, you know, we, which we were one of, we're not very good and we hurt our league. And, uh, you know, we, we, I'm speaking for when I say we, we, I'm talking about South Carolina. We had to change how we did things, had to schedule better, had to win games, had to do things so we can become a better representative of what high major basketball is all about. And, uh, I think we've done our part and uh, in our league, and so have the other coaches. And, and the league's gotten really, really hard. And uh, I, I just hope that if we're fortunate to where we can win enough games, which I'm not even worried about right now, and I try very hard every year not to worry about, uh, that we get credit for scheduling at Providence, at Michigan, at Wyoming, Wofford, Stony Brook, Virginia at home, Clemson at home, that we get credit for the kind of schedule that we put together in non-conference play and then uh, the whole injury factor and all that gets taken in consideration as an understanding why uh, why we were better once conference play got here. You know, at the beginning of the season, I know we talked about Chris Silva as, you know, probably one of the players in the country that is least, I don't know if I'd say respected, but least publicized almost for the talent level. Um, you know, he's been very solid um, in terms of his production, numbers are a hair down maybe from a year ago, but at this point in the season, what kind of impact has he had on this group that, you know, that, that I guess that you expected or maybe needed, especially with a younger team? Yeah, I mean, Andy, if you, if you go back and you look at his numbers for the last seven, eight games, he's he's playing at a higher level than he did at any time last year. He's, uh, you know, I, I messed him up in preseason and the early part of the schedule because of all the injuries, I, I just pressured him to do more uh, than he was probably prepared to do from a production, from an X and O standpoint, from a leadership standpoint. And he's such a good kid that he felt like, you know, he wasn't playing as well as he needed to. And he was letting the team down and letting me down. And, you know, and he and I just huddled up and we had a great, that's a great thing about coaching a senior that you can have, you know, these, these real personal conversations. And, and I told him, I said, you know, Chris, I, I've messed you up, man, because you became the defensive player of the year in this conference because of all the things that you do well. And I've put you in places that that's now got you playing without that enthusiasm, strength and joy that makes you a great player. Let's get back to doing those things. And him being the great kid that he is, uh, he, you know, he understood. I addressed that way in front of the whole team. And uh, that gave him confidence that I believe in him. And, and he's the last seven, eight games, he's playing at a high, high level right now. And I'm, uh, I'm extremely proud of him. So injuries aside, and obviously those are a major factor, but uh, the first two SEC games were late possession games. Um, what threshold did this team cross to enable you guys to finish games like that when you're in a late possession game, whether it's at home or on the road? 
Yeah, you know, and it's uh, we when we played uh, at Michigan, we we were nose to nose with them, and they, there was a bad run in the second half where, you know, we couldn't stop the bleeding, and and you know, a two point game became a fourteen fifteen point game, and then we fought to get it to seven, but we just couldn't get it closer. They're too good uh, to give them that big of a run. Same thing happened with Virginia. Um, you know, we're in a dogfight. We're you know, it's a five six point game in the second half. We give them a run where they pop it to fifteen sixteen, and and you know we fought to get it back to ten, but it just they're too good. You can't give up those kind of runs. And then we you know we went to Florida, uh, and we kind of gave up that run in the second half. And the one thing that they had, which is similar to us, they got freshman guards, and they made some mistakes, and we were able to counter with a run in the second half and then find a way to win. That gave us confidence. The last two games, we have not given up that run to the opponent. We've been able to, you know, instead of the other team going on a 12-2 run, they go on a 7-3 run. And then we counter with our own 6-1 run or something, um, you know, which has allowed us to kind of stay in a better place and then just stay the course, stay the course, stay the course and play 40 minutes and, and, and make some place to win the game at the end. Yeah, I want to go back to the top of the SEC because what Tennessee's done last year and this year is exactly what you guys did when you went to the Final Four, um, and you've done this before. Look, I mean, every coach would love to have an Anthony Davis, a one-and-done kind of guy, if you can get him. Um, but at the same time, when you build a program where you've got guys that are old and you, can, and you have an opportunity to stay old you know, from one year to the next – what kind of difference does that make, especially when you get into the real meat of your conference season? Yeah, I mean, it's um, there's there's a trust, a belief in everything that your team is about. And then you can overcome a sprained ankle or you can overcome the flu to a player because of uh, you got so many parts that understand, been through it, believe it, and, and have that, that great word we all look for, which is confidence. You know, confidence comes from trust, trusting your teammate, trusting the work you put in, trusting the results you've gotten. So, you know, it's uh, uh, that's what we had. Uh, the year we went to the Final Four, uh, we the year before, we set a school record for wins with 25. And those guys coming back, uh, which was gave us an older team, uh, they had unbelievable confidence, which then when we went through our ups and downs of the season, which everyone goes through because of a suspension, an injury, whatever, uh, we, we were able to stay the course and keep getting better and not get wrapped up on the score of a game, whether it was good or bad. And, you know, I think that's what Tennessee has right now. You know, Rick, Rick Barnes, that is, uh, is phenomenal. And uh, he's got that team playing with that Rick Barnes toughness, that Rick Barnes discipline. Um, and uh, they're all juniors and seniors, and they've been together for three years. And, you know, when they were all freshmen, they didn't get the results they wanted. Now they're all juniors and seniors, and, and, and they're a dominant, dominant team. And if you look at the top of the poll, Duke is the only one that's the outlier because Tennessee, Virginia, Michigan, Michigan State, Gonzaga, Nevada, they're all built like that. And, I mean, I, I personally believe that's more the trend than, you know, the anomaly of what, you know, Duke and to some degree Kentucky have been able to do. You know, as a coach, I got to believe that's, you know, ultimately you want guys that are here longer to where you can build that trust that you're talking about and and really build a foundation of a team. Well, just go look at the Final Fours. How'd Jay Wright win two of the last three? You know, North Carolina, how'd they win? You know, the year we went, Gonzaga and us in Oregon, we were all old. 
Um, it's uh, it, it, that's in reality, Andy. That's the way all the seasons play out. You know, all the the the, the teams with those phenomenal eighteen-year-olds, which they're unbelievably fun to watch. They haven't had that postseason success that everyone promotes in October and November. Uh, and the teams that have that experience are the ones that usually are able to overcome the emotions and the length of the season and succeed as, uh, as, as you go through the whole year. And, you know, and that's not trying to knock, you know, when Duke's won the championship, you know, he's had like unbelievably special players, but he's had a couple old guys that helped them deal with the season. Same thing as of late, same thing with John wanted at Kentucky, you know, he had some older guys that got it done, uh, that over, you know, helped them overcome whether it was Darius Miller or Liggins or whoever, it's just part of the deal. It's uh, the season's long and it's very difficult, and it's a uh, it's a roller coaster ride. And older guys uh, understand how to manage it better. And you get another ride to Nashville playing Vanderbilt this week, Frank. I appreciate it. Thank you, Andy. And up next here on March Madness three sixty five, my conversation with Texas Tech's Jared Culver. And now joining me here on March Madness three sixty five, Jared Culver from Texas Tech. As the Red Raiders are off to a four zero Big Twelve start, fifteen and one overall. To the surprise of everyone except for everyone in that locker room and in Lubbock, Texas. Jared, I I have to admit, even as you guys had a great year last year, I thought it'd be a bit of a rebuilding. You were the main person coming back. Wasn't sure about all the newcomers. And yet, I'm not alone. We were all wrong. Uh, You guys are having a phenomenal season. Almost knocked off Duke. How do you explain the way you guys have been able to duplicate what you guys did a year ago to this point in the season? Um, I would say I just feel like it's the culture at Texas Tech. I feel like Coach Beard and his staff has done a great job of building the culture and the day-to-day process that we go through. So, I mean, I give credit to them and what they do for us on the day-to-day basis. I feel like that's what contributes to our success. You know, you were the guy that was returning, um, and there were a lot of unknowns uh, outside of yourself. But you were with these guys in practice in the preseason, in the summer, and all that. When did you know that this was a team that could do what it did a year ago and challenge Kansas in the Big 12? And who knows what will occur in March? I kind of knew just once everybody got here and once we got to work in the summer, I just felt like like if we go through our process and what Coach Beer has built and what we do, I just felt like it's built for success and I mean, once everybody buys in and which everybody is, I feel like that's what happens when we do what we do. Jared, how do you explain this culture? Because, I mean, from from Coach Beard's fireside chats to the music blaring, I remember, in Boston last year, uh, just the looseness of this group, uh, you know, it, it just permeates, I think, through in every person, every coach. It's contagious. How would you describe it? I'll describe it as... Um, we're a truth-telling program. Everybody works hard. And, I mean, we have fun while we're doing this. So, I mean, on a day-to-day, everybody comes out, get their work done, and we enjoy being around each other. So, I mean, they just make it fun while we're doing what we love to do. So, I don't see the practices. I just see the, the way you guys play together, the way he offers up sort of humor through social media. But in practice... How intense does he get in terms of even maybe getting on you guys a little bit where the smiles may become, you know, an intense frown, if you will? I mean, I, I don't see that side. What happens behind closed doors? 
Uh, he's, he's very intense. Coach Beard and the coaching staff, they're very intense during practice because they want perfection. And, I mean, that's what we strive for every day. So, I mean, they want to get the best out of their players. And they're not soft coaches, and they coach us hard so they get the best out of us. And they do what they can do so we can win. So, look, you've only been there now a year and a half. You know, by, when Kansas won its first Big 12 title, I don't even know how old you were. You were clearly in elementary school at the at the very least. I mean, they're going for number 15. Um, so you know how long the streak has been going on. It's three-fourths of your life, practically. Uh, what do you think it's going to take to finally dethrone them atop the Big 12? Um, I mean, I just feel like we're taking it one game at a time. Uh, I mean, we don't really – we haven't really even talked about a Big 12 championship or nothing like that in our locker room yet. We just focus on our next game, which is Iowa State. So, I mean, just, that's just how it is at Tech. We just take it one game at a time, and whatever happens and when it unfolds, we'll see what happens. You know, the last thing I want to just ask you, your ability, meaning your team, to translate the way you guys play at home and on road, uh, that doesn't. a lot of teams struggle with that. And that has not been an issue for you guys. You blew out Nebraska and Kansas City. You know, you've won at West Virginia. You've won at Texas. You played. You were, you were ahead of Duke for most of the game in New York. Why has the way you guys play translated so well on the road away from Lubbock? I mean, we we stick to what we do. We stay true to ourselves, and I mean, we play every game, and we play to the bone to give ourselves a chance every game. And even from our wins, we learn from it. So, I mean, on the road, we don't see it as different as playing at home. We try to. We try to stick with each other and be together. So we try to be the most together team. So when we go on the road, we play together and trust each other. So this is what we do when we stick together. And if there's one way to describe your game, what is it? Um, I would say one way to describe my game is just, uh, I mean, the willingness to win. I love to win. Uh, I hate to lose. And whatever, I just work hard to do whatever I can do for my team. So... When I go out there, I play as hard as I can. And, I mean, whatever my team needs me to do, whether it's scoring, playing defense, taking charge or anything, that's what I try to do. Jared Culver, Texas Tech. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. As always, you can find our podcast wherever you are in front of NCAA.com or any of our March Madness social media handles and, of course, on iTunes. Appreciate you following us and listening to our weekly podcast covering the sport of college basketball.